This is Cruise Control. Control. Your on-air automotive magazine with co-hosts Fred Staub and Les Jackson. Control. Everything you need to know about new and used cars. Control. Industry news. We'll fix or repair your car on the air. Control. Fasten your seatbelts and let us take the wheel. Now, your ride is about to begin. Control. Because you're on Cruise Control. Cruise Control. Cruise Control. And welcome to Cruise Control Radio, your on-air automotive magazine. Les Jackson is over there. Well, he's raked up the leaves in the cruise control van since the roof is kind of letting them in. Les, what are you going to do with all those leaves? Uh, I'm going to set fire to them. Uh, Not in here, though, I hope. Oh, well, uh, I wish you would mention that before. Oh, okay. Well... Uh, We're going to get started with all your latest automotive news and information this week, Les. We're starting with uh, something we told you about last week. Uh, FCA and Peugeot teaming up in a 50-50 merger. But what happens to all of their, count them, 13 brands? Yes, indeed. Well, I know what's happening to one of those brands, Alfa Romeo. They're getting a big refresh and some fans might be upset about it. Yep. Well, and Ford's Mustang-inspired crossover, the Mach-E, gets closer to its reveal. And uh, over at Hyundai, the next-generation Sonata gets more electronic goodies and some unique headlights, and it's still a bargain. Oh, yeah, a bargain, and it's a sedan with four doors. Sedan. Yes, seats. All that, and we take you behind the scenes of the Ford versus Ferrari story with Ford's Archives and Heritage brand manager, Ted Ryan. He's going to tell us about the real story of Ford versus Ferrari from the Ford point of view, right? Absolutely, and uh, he's going to talk about releasing some of the original documents for people to, Mm. to read. I think this is very exciting. All that and more when we get rolling on this edition of Cruise Control Radio. Listen to the live feed of Cruise Control Radio every Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern. Go to www.cruisecontrolradio.com to find out how to do it. Is your car starting to show its age? Over time, paint becomes oxidized, faded, and scratched. But you can restore that tired paint and repair those scratches with the paint restoration system from 3M. It's an affordable way to make those repairs in your garage in just one afternoon with basic tools. The kit contains all of the restoration products and polishing pads you need to bring your vehicle's paint back to like-new condition. For more information, visit www.3mcarcare.com. Cruise Control. And welcome back to Cruise Control, your on-air automotive magazine. Lesson Fred here at the wheel. Well, you know, let's delve into the uh, the uh, piece, uh, <laughs> FCA and the PSA. That's Fiat Chrysler and Peugeot mm-hmm. Group. Uh, they're a big merger. They, they they're really steadfastly claiming it's a 50-50 responsibility, which is great. It's not a takeover. Yeah, but brands are going to be changing. Well, they will, or maybe not. It would bring together, less 13 brands, including Jeep, Ram, Opel Vauxhall, Peugeot, Citron, Alfa Romeo, Maserati, 
it's hard to believe that they could keep all 13 of those brands unless you look at the VW group, which has 10 passenger brands. So maybe this is good. It's sort of like uh, having uh, Coke, Coke Zero, uh, uh, you know, every kind of Coke, Coke. Cherry Coke, Vanilla Coke. It's more space on the shelf, more space in the showroom. Um, And, uh, you know, it's it's going to be very interesting to see what they keep and what uh, they don't keep when it comes to models. Uh, as we told you last week, it seems like um, there's no room for RAM over in um, Europe, literally. the ro- It wouldn't fit on the roads. And, <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Uh, but certainly, uh, wouldn't it be great to have some great sedans, updated sedans in the FCA lineup uh, from some of the great vehicles of Opel, Vauxhall, Peugeot, Citroën, right? Well, yes, but I, I can't believe that they would be sold here under those names. I think they would be, you know, FCA names. And if you remember, uh, we did a story about Peugeot that hasn't been in this market for years. Uh, we did a story about Peugeot uh, trying to get back into the U.S. market um, and talking about ways to do it. And... And now, now look at it. And one way to team up with FCA. Now, will they bring those great Peugeot cars, as you said, the uh, branded Peugeot? I don't know. But some of those cars are really nice. They're some of the most attractive vehicles in uh, Europe that I have seen. Yeah, I think that's the one brand that they might bring in. Okay. Uh, there is a there is a history here, um, um, but uh, I think I think it would work. Yeah. We'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens. Certainly, undoubtedly, though, there will be changes. And one of the places there's going to be changes is Alfa Romeo, the 4C Spider. Uh, very, the car that brought them back to the United States is going away. Basically, they've, they've stopped taking orders for it. Uh, it does remain available to buy in the U.S., but once all those orders, uh, orders, the existing orders are uh, built, they will be no more. And it's hard to believe they rolled out the 4C in 2013. This is the small wow. two-seater. Um, and the problem was the price and what you get for it. It had a 1.75 liter turbocharged 4 mid-engine uh, sending 237 horsepower and 258 pound of torque to the rear wheels but uh you know you were paying seventy thousand for this and that was always to me that was just a lot of money a lot of money for that and uh it had competitors like the lotus elise and exige and uh those went away so it kind of was in a uh sort of a space of its own it was kind of small on the inside not a lot of power by today's standards, um, and it, it therefore didn't sell well. Uh, the other thing is uh, they, there's talk that their 8C supercar might be scrapped. This is according to the Detroit Bureau. Uh, FCA boss Mike Manley said uh, he's not been happy with the performance of Alfa Romeo. 
He said this during the company's earnings teleconference uh, this week. Um, and, you know, we have to w- think about what they might be putting into their lineup. It looks like they might be putting in more crossovers and middle-of-the-road vehicles as opposed to high-end performance cars. Yeah, but, you know, this is this brings up a problem. Mm-hmm which is that the dealers who sell Alpha are also Fiat dealers. Right. And Fiat's not doing real well, so I'm sure that there are pressures uh, being exerted by the dealers, all of whom have recently invested big bucks in creating dealerships. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, that Fiat, in in a market in Europe, which they dominate the 500s and the smaller vehicles that they have uh is getting away from that they want to get into bigger vehicles so who knows more on that when we come back on cruise control radio so keep it tuned for the latest updates on cruise control follow us on twitter at cruise control rad that's c-r-u-i-s-e-c-t-r-l-r-a-d cruise control rad Cruise Control. And welcome back to Cruise Control. Lesson Fred here. Uh, We were talking about what's going on at FCA, Peugeot, uh, 13 brands. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the way, do you remember when GM had 18 brands? I don't, but can you name them all? I probably could, but I don't think we have time. (laughs) I don't remember 18. Oh, yes. During the late 90s, they had 18 brands. Mm-hmm. Remember, such things as Metro, oh, yeah. Geo, rather, yeah, and yeah. Uh, Saab and Hummer. And... The Saab, the one where they lost $5,000 on every car. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, that's, that's good management. <laughs> but speaking of good management, yeah, the folks at Ford uh, want to really uh, capitalize on the never ever ending po- uh, uh, satisfaction and popularity of the Mustang. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be putting out a Mustang inspired right. EV crossover. We've talked about this a uh, f- number of times. Yeah. And I guess the working name is Mach E. Yeah, we're not sure if that's going to be the actual name. Or if that's just the working title. Um, uh, But we saw some pictures of it this week, um, kind of in what you would call light camouflage. The back definitely looks Mustang-inspired. It's got prominent haunches, and it has the uh, Mustang taillights. Uh, And the front, uh, it's hard to say with the camo. I guess it's somewhat Mustang-inspired, right? to me, it looks like a like they put Mustang uh, trim on a Taurus. Oh, okay. But I think the bigger news uh, is that this thing is electric and will probably have a three hundred mile range. That is that's that is big news, and yeah. I think such a thing would be very well received. And some of our automotive press. Um, colleagues are very upset that it's mustang inspired and this is going to hurt the mustang brand i don't see that at all i i really don't 
I don't think anyone's going to compare it to the GT500. You know, I just no. I just no. don't think you know, they're just using some styling cues and that's it. Nobody's saying it's a replacement for the Mustang. Nobody's saying um it it has to uh, have the same acceleration as the uh, Mustang, although from all reports this thing does accelerate very quickly. Um we will see this on November 17th, not that far away, at the LA no. uh, Auto Show. I'm actually going to be checking it out in New York uh, right after that. Um, so we'll get you plenty of pictures and up close and take a look at this thing. Um, I think it's the first of many exciting vehicles from Ford. I agree. And, uh, you know, it, as you say, it's not a Mustang. They're not calling it a Mustang. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, just because it's Mustang inspired very much the way, um, the, uh, Chevy Blazer is, uh, Camaro inspired. Right. It doesn't, they're not saying it's a Camaro. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so what's the big deal? I don't know. There is no big deal other than it looks like a cool vehicle and can't wait to uh, check it out and see it when it's completely out of camo. Um, and uh, and look forward to bringing you uh, all that information on Cruise Control Radio. So stay tuned uh, for that, and that's only uh, a week or so away. So there you have it. But uh, a vehicle you can see right now is the next-generation Hyundai Sonata, uh, and this one uh, was revealed at the New York Auto Show back in April. One of the key cool features of this uh, vehicle is on the higher end uh, models, the headlights sort of move up the um, hood of the car. It's kind of a first. Uh, I've never seen anything like that, but uh, I guess you would call them the the um, LED light pipes. Uh, yeah, up the that's hood. a yeah um, uh, or light light trim. Once again, incredible value for this car we've got some pricing on it the base model se goes up 750 dollars more than the 2019 model but you get a 2.5 liter smart stream engine 191 horsepower eight speed transmission versus a six speed in the old model 32 miles per gallon versus 29 miles per gallon an 80 inch lcd screen which is larger by one inch and smart safety sense features, including forward collision avoidance, lane keeping, driver attention warning, and smart cruise control. Seems like $750 well spent, doesn't it? Certainly does. Uh, that's a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, great. I mean, just a, it's a real bargain. They always have been. They have been. They're great sedans. And as we said last week, sedans are poised to make a comeback. Uh, nice styling. I mean, they, they go on up from there, 26430 for the SEL, uh, which brings in a 12.3-inch LCD instrument cluster. And then at 34230 that's the top-of-the-line limited uh, with a 1.6-liter engine turbo. Uh, that gets the uh, digital key, which is your, your app to uh, unlock it, and uh, the color head-up display, blind spot collision warning, Remote smart parking assist, and that is the one with those cool lights, which definitely. That's right. Yeah. These are all built in Alabama. 
and uh, I think, uh, you know, if people buy sedans, this will certainly be one they should consider, isn't it? I think so. And I mean, it's just a, I would buy one. If I, if I were out to buy a regular sedan today, that's what I would buy. Yeah, it, uh, it is quite the deal. And even the base model is uh, very well equipped and very well priced. Um, and while we're on talking about electric cars or go back to talking about electric cars by uh, 2022 Hyundai, it's expect to have 13 electrified vehicles. Remember, Electrified can be a plug-in hybrid or a hybrid or an all-out electric vehicle. But by 2022, they're going to have 13 of those in their lineup. Pretty cool, right? It is cool. Uh, and again, they're the, the trends all over the industry. Yes, yes. There's going to be a 2020 uh, Ionic, uh, which, will, uh, which will get a boost in range. I think they're talking about 170 miles. For the range of that vehicle, a 35% increase. So uh, Hyundai is sort of on fire right now. They're getting a lot of models coming in, a lot of in, a lot of new developments, even big SUVs uh, as well. So they're firing on all cylinders. When we come back, we're going to tell you about a time uh, when Ford's racing division was firing on all cylinders, certainly. Uh, we've got Ford Archives and Heritage Brand Manager and Historian Ted Ryan is going to join us after the break to really tell us the story of Ford versus Ferrari. I mean, the movie, I believe, premieres on the 15th, although some people have done some screenings. So far, I, I've heard that it is an automotive movie that has good storytelling in it. So <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that's, that's right. That's good. Um, and, uh, of, of course, Christian Bale. Uh, and Matt Damon, uh, the stars of that, um, they had a, 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 a event with them, the uh, uh, opening night, and they got, drove up in some Shelbys, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, and uh, so I, I, I'm looking forward to getting Ford's take on this story. Uh, and, uh, of course, there's probably been some Hollywood embellishment, as there always is, but... Hey, you know, I, I really like seeing an automotive story that is, um, you know, just not, you know, it's well told. And, uh, and we're going to get all of the background on this story from Ted Ryan, who is an amazing historian. He knows, he knows where all the secrets are kept when it comes to the Blue Oval. So oh, yeah. you want to stay tuned for that and more cruise control with Fred Staub and Les Jackson. Don't forget, check us out at cruisecontrolradio.com where you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. It's all there, cruisecontrolradio.com. When we come back, Ford versus Ferrari, the inside story on Cruise Control. Cruise Control Radio goes live every Saturday starting at 10 a.m. Eastern. To listen, click the link on our homepage. Go to www.cruisecontrolradio.com. Cruise Control. And welcome back to Cruise Control Radio, your on-air automotive magazine with Fred Staub and Les Jackson. Don't forget to check us out at cruisecontrolradio.com where you can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Check out all the social media channels. It's all there, cruisecontrolradio.com. We've been talking a lot about Ford versus Ferrari, or Ford v. Ferrari, which I guess is the actual name 
of the film that's going to premiere in theaters around the country uh, on the 15th. Um, and this is getting some great reviews. We talked about that. We, Les and I have not seen it yet. And our uh, great guest, Ted Ryan, who is Ford Archives and Heritage brand manager, has not seen it yet. But uh, it gets great reviews saying that it's just not a car movie. It is a good story and well told. So, plus it's got great cars too, which doesn't hurt, does it, Les? Or racing scenes. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> very true. But we wanted to, uh, you know, uh, Hollywood, of course, always um, embellishes and changes things a little bit on the screen, which is fine. There, I mean, there. That's what they're doing. They're trying to uh, make it exciting. But this was an exciting story on its own. And we wanted to get the inside story from the Ford point of view from Ted Ryan. Ted, welcome to Cruise Control Radio. Thanks for having me back on, guys. I get to talk about the GT40 and, and Le Mans 66, which is one of my favorite topics of all time. So I'm happy to be here. Well, well let's set the stage. Uh, you know, there was kind of a weird time in the auto industry. Um, and Ford kind of wanted to get out of this weird time where racing and posting... Uh, performance numbers of production cars it was sort of there was sort of an agreement amongst manufacturers to kind of tone down uh the performance uh of cars or or touting the performance that that started i guess in the late 50s and sort of went into the early 60s right it did and then uh ford went 180 degrees the opposite direction instead of trying to hide the fact that we made good performance cars or could make good performance cars, we shifted entirely and began to celebrate the performance aspect, not just at Le Mans, but at, uh, <clears throat> on NASCAR, Indy car races, uh, drag races, the, the, the entire spectrum. Ford took on this total performance idea. It was one of the Iacocca's leading thoughts. And as part of that, they wanted to get into the endurance racing and we we didn't have the technical know-how, so we actually tried to buy Ferrari. Right. Uh, and our archives actually have the document, the agreement. that was uh, The new company is going to be called FIFO, F-E-F-O, and it was a Ford-Ferrari combination. It got all the way to the point where the contractor was in front of Enzo Ferrari on the desk in 1963 on May 18th, and suddenly four days later he changed his mind, and Ford sent out a telegram announcing that the negotiations had been canceled uh, uh, by interest on both parties. So it, it was a close tap dance, but Henry Ford didn't like being turned down, so he decided to beat Ferrari at its own game, uh, and we launched the GT program to to take on Ferrari at Le Mans. It's, it's a classic story. Apparently, and, and this was going to be what they were going, Ford was going to absorb Ferrari because Ford was much bigger. Um we were we were gonna we were gonna uh, the the terms are pretty clear. We uh, Enzo was gonna run the racing division, and Ford was gonna provide the money and parts and supplies uh, for Enzo to run a racing division, and then Ford was gonna take over the creation of the consumer version, the street versions of the Ferrari vehicles, and was gonna do all the importation of them to the U.S. Wow. Uh, it would have been quite a deal. So you would have had Ford Ferraris, uh, street versions running around, and then uh, Enzo would have been running the racing division. Yeah, you know, it will. of course, we'll never know how that would have worked out, but all during this in 63, um, what was going on already was Carroll Shelby had, of course, created the Cobra, 
and it was winning races everywhere and suddenly ford was just in the news my gosh you know if you've got a ford powered car um the only the only hope of somebody racing against you is that it breaks <laughs> that's so true and you know i i don't know how the movie covers this but to me the the genius of what happened from this period from 63 to 66 is the combination of fantastic engineering first with the Ford 289 engine and then the monster 427 right yeah uh, seven liter engine that actually won in 66 so you have the engineering of Ford you have the artistry of Shelby and American and Holman and Moody don't leave them out uh, and then you have the fantastic imagination of the drivers to take these uh I mean, they're going 210 miles an hour down the, the back stretch at Le Mans, and a plane takes off at 176. So, you know, how do you keep these cars on the <laughs> ground? All that, all that engineering right. uh, to drive forward to the ultimate victory in 1966. After two horrible failures, in 64, uh, the, the Mark I wasn't ready. Engineering wasn't quite there yet. Uh, the Mark X, most people don't know, the, the second iteration of it, the race in 65, had the 427 engine in it. But the body hadn't been aerodynamically perfected. And no. it had too much power, frankly, for the brakes that were available. But by 66, with, uh, with Ford just running constant dynamometer tests and changing the brakes and doing all this work, they had the Mark II, which is what ultimately placed first, second, and third in the race. So do you think Ferrari ever, forg- uh, you know, ever really regretted his decision? Because, not you know, by turning down Ford, they really you know, it energized Ford, it, Henry, it energized Henry Ford II. I mean, he just, it's like, you know, okay, you don't want to do it, we'll do it ourselves. Kind of a true American way of doing things. And uh, We'll go to war with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, you know, Ford would be a, um, w- would be a formidable competitor. The only thing I could think of it in <laughs> recent times, Les, is when, Musk, Elon Musk of Tesla, tried to go to war with Ford over uh, producing vehicles or whatever. And somebody at Ford said, you want to talk about producing vehicles? We can, uh, you know, every 85 seconds, a brand new F-150 comes off the line and it's virtually perfect. How many cars do you build? We make, <laughs> we make, we make more in a month than he makes in a year. Yeah. Uh, and we, you know, yeah. without all the issues. No, the, uh, the, there's one, my favorite story, and we actually have a display right now in our archives room where we, we uh, invited some media this week. In 19, after the failure in 65, Henry Ford gave him one more chance, but each member of the team was given a handwritten card. On the front of it, it had a picture of the program uh, from 66, and on the back of it, he handwrote, you better win. <laughs> which, yeah. You don't get any more bump, blunt than that. We had Mose Nolan, who was one of the engineers from Ford, who was in the pit in 66, and he he held up the card and he said, I pretty much had my performance review right that moment. I was going to win or I was going to get fired. So the entire, the entire organization of Ford was geared to winning. Although you guys know as well as I do, 64, we introduced the Mustang, 66, the Bronco, 66, we're also, or 65, the Bronco. We're also building NASA mission control uh, with the Ford Philco wing. Right. We had quite a few balls in here, and, and we won on every single one of them. Yeah, I was going to say you ran Monte Carlo with the Falcons in 63 and 64. Yep. And those did extremely well. I owned one of those. That's right. You did. I remember that. I remember that car. Yeah. And uh, so Ford was firing on on all cylinders, and the challenge was there. I mean, let's talk about the 427. No replacement for displacement back then. Um, 
Was that the biggest engine at Le Mans? Does- it was. And, and the, the trick with Le Mans is that you've got to, with all the turns and all the braking and, and all the, you, you, uh, tons of power helps, but you also have to have the brakes. And the more weight you add, the more braking you have to do as you slow from 210 miles an hour down to 35 to make the S turn. And it's interesting. I know Ken Miles is one of the heroes in the movie, and he was a hero in real life. He was the, the driving engineer along with Phil Remington for Shelby American. Mm-hmm. And Ford actually sent Ken Miles to Amon uh, uh, for one of the practice sessions, and they made a dynamometer tape. And they ran the 427 engine on the dynamometer. And once they knew they could get it to run for 48 hours without braking, mm-hmm. they knew they had the engine. They knew they had the setup that could win. The other Ken Miles story is in 65, the failed attempt. He actually was paired up with, with uh, Bruce McLaren. Mm-hmm. So they were the same dri- the drivers of the same car, and that was the Mark X. It was the first time we put the 427 in, but the aerodynamics weren't there. The brakes weren't there. But Ken Miles took it around the test track in May of 65, and he got out of the car, and he said, this is the car I want to drive at Le Mans. Mm-hmm. So in 65, he and McLaren drove it, but... Uh, to no avail because the brakes gave and the, the transmission gave. Whoa. But it, a whole lot of work went in, a whole lot of engineers between that failure in 65 to perfect the Mark II for the 1966 race. Now, Ken Miles is in the movie, even in the trailers. You, They say he seems kind of volatile, at least that's the way his <laughs> character is played. And certainly that probably wouldn't mesh well with uh, corporate Ford, I would imagine. No, Ken and Ken Miles in real life was uh, volatile, but not. I don't. I don't. Hollywood is Hollywood. Sure, uh, he he was a team player. I know that because of the correspondence that we have in our files and the, the the memos back and forth. You can't believe how many times he came to Dearborn to run the wind tunnel test and to, to do the cooperation with Holman and Moody and to to, to do the dynamometer test. So uh, I, I think we may have a little bit of an embellishment there because he was a team player who really wanted to win Whoop. and. Uh, well, and he did. We will be right back with Ted Ryan on Cruise Control Radio. Stay tuned. Ford versus Ferrari. Cruise Control Radio goes live every Saturday starting at 10 a.m. Eastern. To listen, click the link on our homepage. Go to www.cruisecontrolradio.com. Feeling a little dim? Don't blame your brain or the weather. Hazy headlights may be the problem. Hazed or cloudy plastic headlights can reduce your vehicle's visibility on the road, making it very difficult to see the road and for other cars to see you. Now you can restore plastic headlight lenses to like new clarity with the Lens Renewal Kit from 3M, an easy-to-use solution for removing the yellowing and hazing that reduces headlight performance and visibility. For more information, visit www.3mcarcare.com. Cruise Control. And welcome back to Cruise Control Radio, your on-air automotive magazine. I'm Fred Staub. He's Les Jackson. Ted Ryan, who is Ford's archive and heritage brand manager and historian, has been talking about the real Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, Ted, you uh, are the keeper to the archives at Ford. You have a great display that kind of shows... A paper trail of what happened, uh, just to summarize for people that just tuned in. Basically, Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, Ford wanted to buy Ferrari, and and yet Enzo Ferrari wanted to keep the racing program. It didn't work out, 
And when uh, Henry Ford II was told, we're not, we've got no deal here, he decided to go out and win Le Mans uh, and uh, got a great team together and uh, built the Ford GT, uh, various versions of it, and did win Le Mans. Um, but you have a paper trail of all of this and what was going on. And uh, it, this was kind of like foreign territory to Ford. As you mentioned, Ted, they were involved in a lot of forms of racing, but not endurance racing, not 24-hour racing. Right, and that's a completely different kettle of fish. You can, it's not how fast you can go. It's how, how fast and how long the cars can go. And we, we didn't have any experience and frankly, we borrowed a lot of that experience from noted players out there. The initial Mark I was created uh, by Ford Advanced Vehicles in England. Uh, we snatched away a couple of the people from the Aston Martin team. Um, and Roy Lund, one of the noted Ford designers, designed a beautiful shape of the, uh, of the GT uh, Mark I. And by the guys, I just sent you some of the pictures of the clays. We actually have the styling clays of wow. the original vision of what the GT was going to be. Unfortunately for, for Ford, that Mark I was a beautiful car, fast car, but not as well engineered, and the gearboxes broke and the transmissions broke when we tried to take it on distance. The right. next iteration was the, the Mark II, where they, they put the 427 engine in, and you know I described Ken Miles getting out of the car in May of 65, going, this is the one I'm going to drive in on launch. Well, the problem is they only had two <laughs> months to perfect the car, and that wasn't enough time. Uh, so 65 yeah. was the ultimate failure. The longest any car made it was nine hours. And, and Henry Ford walked away with the egg on his face. And it was very, very, very unhappy. And did not like that. And you don't want him being unhappy. <laughs> yes, you don't. <laughs> when your name is on the car, uh, you, you don't want to see things go wrong. Right. But that's... but. They came back, and the outcome was a lot different, right? They did, and, and it's a it's a combination of, of engineering at Ford, and we have a list of oh, but it's a cool document in our archives. We have a congratulation note from Donald Fry to every engineer, and they received a, a solid gold cufflinks in the shape of twenty four hours, and it has Le Mans at the bottom, and it's a who's who wow. list of, of oh, every. Neat. Engineer, and it wasn't just the engine guys, it was the brake guys, the donometer uh, guy, you know, everyone who were, and then our partners. And we couldn't have done this without our partners. Shelby American, huge input. Holman and Moody, huge input. Holman and Moody developed the quick change brake package that was used um, because they figured out they couldn't make a brake that would last 24 hours, but if they could uh, do a, a quick change rotor package, that would help solve that. And that was a Holman and Moody contribution. It took a little bit of everybody. To, to develop the Mark II, and then it took the brilliance of the drivers, the Bruce McLarens, the Ken Miles, the Dan Gurneys, uh, you know, to see the lines on the road and to the Brave going 200 miles an hour and slowing into an escort. I mean, it took everybody involved with it to, to achieve victory at Le Mans. Yeah, when I yeah. Th think of Le Mans, uh, Les, I think of, you know, when it's getting very misty at night, everyone's tired, you can barely see, um, and it just, it seems like the worst time to be out driving a car for a long time and you just can't see anything, you know? It just gets so no. misty. And and it always rained at Le Mans. Always. Mm -hmm. Always. In 66, uh, they finished in the and, rain. Yeah. And I think the, the GT40 was the first car ever to go 200 on the Mulsanne Strait, wasn't it? It was. And uh, that was the Mark One actually. And it hit 206. I think I may be off by wow. an, hour, an hour or two, but and set the course record uh, 
Ford actually set the course record in 64, 65, and 66. Uh, however, they couldn't, in 64 and 65, they couldn't finish, and that's the whole point. Uh, yeah. And that was now, in, they in defense down of on Ford, after that. That's right. But in defense of Ford, back in those days, more than half of the cars didn't finish anyway because they kept braking. Correct. And in 65, Ferrari didn't finish either. Actually, a Ferrari yes. won, yeah, it was but it was tough. a private entry Ferrari from, from Ferrari North America. And it was a surprise uh-huh. winner because all the Fords went out and all the factory-built Ferraris went out. Uh, so 65 was sort of a, a odd race. And I'm only talking about, about 66, but uh, Ford wasn't content to do it once. We came back and won again in 67, 68, and 69. Uh, just And after 69, after four years of dominance, uh, we moved away from the endurance racing, but uh, I always always say we didn't just win once. We won four times consecutively. Until you returned not that long ago and also won, right? We, we did. And, the... and that's, thank you for, for bringing that up because I, I had no, in 2016, uh, Bill Ford wanted to go back to Le Mans. And, well, in fact, like the whole company, not just Bill. And we went back to Le Mans in 2016 and we won it again 50 years to the day of the victory in 66 and that program they when wow. they when they developed that program and i was the program manager was just in the archives this week he told me we styled it on the 66 program we looked for great partners like chip ganassi racing we looked for and once again most people won't know it, but uh, to race at le mans you have to have a street version of the cars so there were actually 111 uh gts built for street production of the early run just as today there's a street version of the gt and then the racing version uh, but it was hmm. an amazing moment. Uh, Edsel Ford and Bill Ford on the podium hosting the 2016 trophy uh, 50 years of the day that Henry Ford II had hosted, uh, hoisted the trophy in 1966. It's a stunning, stunning uh, achievement. And and uh, we were talking about how the movie embellishes the original story, but you couldn't, if you wrote that in a Hollywood script, they say, no one's going to believe that 50 years That's to right. the day. But <laughs> but that part's true, folks. So so really interesting. What, uh, Ted, what is your the most unique piece um, of documentation that you've uncovered in your uh, display that but, relates to this whole Ford versus Ferrari thing? A, a couple of the different things. The contract is amazing and to sit there and read and you can see the negotiations and the, the documents back and forth. But in 1966, at the end of 65, after the defeat, they developed this thing called the Le Mans committee. And it's a very forward thing to do Let's develop a committee to study it. But that committee consisted of the Shelby American folks, the Holman and Moody folks, the Ford in, uh, engine and foundry folks, the Ford brake folks, Ford aeronautics. So the GT uh, 40 was the first car that ever went, underwent computerized wind tunnel testing and computerized uh, aerodynamic testing. And the Ford Aeronautics, mm-hmm. the same people that are building mission control, stuck a computer in the car. Uh, Ken Miles actually credited it for adding 79 horsepower to the to the model and, and because they were able to change the ducting based on what the computer was telling them. So the, every wow. month this committee met at the Dearborn Inn, and we have all of the committee meeting notes where you can read what's wrong and how are we going to fix it, what's wrong and how are we going to fix it, because that's what it took to build a winning car that could survive an endurance race. Because things go wrong and, constantly, and, and how do you fix it? And, and it took this team collaboration approach. Uh, and I, 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 on the display this week, I laid them out month by month by month and let people read through so they could see exactly how much work went into developing of the car. 
It's, yeah, it's not the coolest document, but to me, it tells the best story. Well, I have to say, too, the old uh, race on Sunday, sell on Monday, probably in performance racing, in, in endurance racing, I should say, this is the best data tech, uh, transfer you can ask for. I mean, durability uh, and having this thing run for 24 hours. And I mean, pr- probably the aerodynamics, some of the best and most useful things were learned. Here. Ted, we will have to have you back to talk more about, uh, well, digging into the archives of the Blue Oval. So we appreciate you uh, giving us the real story behind Ford versus Ferrari, and we appreciate you being on Cruise Control Radio. It's time for me to say, I'm Fred Staub. I'm Les Jackson. We're going to see you down the road. Bye. Cruise Control Radio is your on-air automotive magazine. Go to www.cruisecontrolradio.com for more information.